Hello, beautiful people. The following is a conversation between me and Brittany Noonzig of the Empowered Power YouTube channel. We've been wanting to collaborate for a while and finally it's come to fruition. Uh, we talk about loads of things, including coming to terms with paralysis, the power of hindsight and how we can pass on that knowledge to people that are newly injured, the love-hate relationship with being content creators, pregnancy and parenting from a wheelchair, uh, disability, discrimination, dramatization on social media, and so much more. It's a, it's a wild conversation and I hope you guys will enjoy it. So without further ado, Brittany Nunzig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm uh, happy to be here. Super excited. Good. Give me a brief background of, uh, of yourself. Uh, I was paralyzed when I was 13 uh, in a snowmobile accident, and that sort of took my life on a whole different trajectory than what I had planned for myself. I always say I didn't... Uh, I didn't picture myself as being in a wheelchair when I grew up. Like, that's not what, if somebody said, what do you want to do when you grow up? It, my answer wasn't, I want to be in a wheelchair and have a YouTube channel about how to help people in wheelchairs. That's just not something that I ever envisioned for myself. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be, uh, you know, into sports. I love to run track. I did everything athletic. I played every sport I could. And so um, when I was paralyzed, it was uh, just really sort of a, a weird thing for me to accept and I didn't know anybody or see anybody that I could look up to. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of had to figure some stuff out. And then once I did, I was like, Oh, it's not so hard to live in a wheelchair. So I, I was paralyzed when I was 13, went through some stuff. Um, and I met my husband, had two kids. Uh, and then I wanted to just sort of do something for other people in wheelchairs. So I started a YouTube channel called Empower empowered para where, I really just talk about my life in a wheelchair and hope it helps other people so that they have somebody that looks like them when they're paralyzed. Cause that was the biggest struggle for me is I didn't see anybody that looked like me that was doing the things that I wanted to do. And if I just document my life, hopefully somebody comes across my channel. That's like, Hey, I want to do that. And she's in a wheelchair and I can still do that. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I don't know what else you want to know, but yeah, that's sort of the cliff's notes version of my life. That's fantastic! Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. That's how uh, that's how we know each other through uh, through YouTube. I uh, commented on your a few of your videos. I subscribed to your newsletter, which I think is wonderful, by the way. And um, and then yeah, you reached out and said we should do something together. And I said, well, would you like to come on the podcast? And, and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I. It's really interesting how small the the world the disability uh, community is, I guess, on YouTube. And there's not, there's really not a lot of us out there making YouTube videos about our lives uh, in this whole scheme of YouTube when you would think that there's however many, like thousands of vloggers out there. There's like dozens of wheelchair, you know, vloggers or people in wheelchairs making videos about their lives. So uh, I just thought that was, it was cool. I, I felt like your energy matched mine, so yeah. Yeah. You've had quite a lot of success with your channel. I looked uh, and I thought that you'd been doing it for years. And I looked today and I, I realized that you've only been doing it for two years and you're already you're you're like creeping up on 20,000 subscribers and you've got a huge following. Sometimes when I look at your videos and I feel like, oh, this was only released, uh, you know, like an hour ago, you've got like 53 comments. Like people are always like, like really engaged and you've got like a really, like a close following, not just like views or whatever um that you know sort of like those vanity metrics but like a real engaged audience that seem to like really care about you and and that, that is just really wonderful 
I think that's my, the thing that I'm most proud of is that I have built a really close-knit, loyal community around my channel. Um, and at first views really were important to me, um, but they're not now just because I know that it doesn't really matter if you get one click, it counts as a view. And if somebody watches it for four and a half seconds, that's a view. So really for me, it's the engagement that matters. And so if I'm getting lots of comments on my videos, that's sort of the metric that I think matters. And if I'm getting not very many comments, then I start to worry. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of how fast it's grown. I definitely have other channels that I've been watching and looking up to. And then the algorithm just drives me crazy because there's people that I love on YouTube like you and I'm just like I I share your stuff and I just don't understand why why the algorithm sometimes doesn't not that your channel's not growing I'm not I'm not meaning to say that I just <laughs> I wish other people's channels were growing uh, really fast and I think as a Canadian um, YouTuber mine's growing less fast than the US YouTubers um, that I'm following so maybe it's like a geographical thing I'm not sure but I think women in wheelchairs have it easier. Not that like I'm, I don't, we can talk about that if you want or not, but uh, I see a lot of male YouTubers that are in wheelchairs and I'm like, what, why are like their channels so great? And then I see a girl with like two YouTube videos and she's got like a thousand subscribers and I'm just like, uh. yeah. So I think it's, but yes, I'm very proud of my channel. Yeah, and, and so you should be. You've got some great content. I was looking at your channel, and you've got 137 videos. Uh, and I – no, sorry, you have 134, and I have 137. So you're, you're behind – you have, like, uh, three less videos than mine, but, like, 19,000 more subscribers. <laughs> Which is so weird because you're, you're honestly the one person on YouTube that uh, – that, I watch that's in a wheelchair. I and not, not that I don't love the other ones, but um, I just don't feel like I have anything to gain from a lot of the other ones because there are a lot of how-to channels and stuff. And your channel is really, uh, I don't know. I just really like the way you vlog. I love your style. I like your whole uh, Christmas with your parents thing. Like I just love the way you. It's just so laid back, and I just love the way that you vlog. And so I wish. I hope. That your channel explodes because mine sort of had like an explosive growth there for four months and now it's back to where it was before and i hope that happens for you too because your channel's great which is why i encouraged you not to quit remember <laughs> you were like i might not i might not keep youtubing and i'm like no don't quit yeah uh well i do have a bit of a love hate relationship with with youtube and it's not to do with like the vanity metrics of the uh the views although i do have a weird relationship with that um and i was going to ask you about the same it's just the fact that sometimes I feel uncomfortable. Like I feel like I'm oversharing on the internet, and and some of my videos I do believe are like pretty good. I, I get consistent views on them. I think I feel like they're evergreen. If you're injured and you're in a wheelchair and you come across a certain, like I say, a certain type of my video, it, it's it's evergreen. It's like oh, you you can get, you can gain inspiration from it. You can be like oh, this guy, uh, he 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 was in a dark place, and and this is how I feel. I can relate to that. And he's, he's, he's gone through the other side, which is good. But then there was a point where I was like, do I want to be a YouTuber? Why am I still churning out these videos? I've got to like think of ideas of like videos to make. And, uh, and it was just, it just became more of a, uh, like, I think the YouTube algorithm or at least the, it's being a YouTuber. It's like, oh, you got to make a video every week and upload regularly. And I was like, well, 
I don't know if I want to do that, you know, like, I'm not sure if that is the relationship I want to have, you know, like churning out content for the sake of churning it out. Uh, and I was going to ask you if you ever feel that way, because you've got some great videos. I love it. And you're churning them out all the time. And I love, I love seeing them. Um, so how's your relationship with, with YouTube in that, in that respect? I would a hundred percent classify it as love hate. I just literally was editing a video and I said, I really want to take you guys on this vlog, but I don't want to take the camera. And I said, I can't take my audience on my day without taking the camera. Cause I literally, it's, I don't hate take I don't hate having the footage. I hate getting the footage. I hate making I hate taking the videos, not making the videos. Mm. And so if I could just get somebody else to take all of my footage and I just put it together in a nice story or the way I want it, that would be wonderful. Um, but yes, I do have a love-hate relationship with it. It's really hard and I feel sometimes like I am churning out videos just for the sake of churning out videos and I have a really hard time thinking of a topic sometimes and um i you i can just tell sometimes my energy isn't there in the video and usually those are the ones that don't do that well because i'm not intentional and i don't feel like making a video so i don't know if that's just the shit sandwich like there's always <laughs> a shit sandwich in something you know like you got to get up to go to work and do the thing and maybe this is the shit sandwich that you gotta eat for youtube but I don't know. I'm struggling with that right now in terms of like what I am as a YouTuber and if it's a business or if it's just a hobby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how is your relationship with the with the vanity metrics of YouTube? You know, like when you see one video, for example, I'll make a video and I'll put loads of effort into it and I'll be like, this is a beautifully crafted video. I put my heart and soul into it. I absolutely love it. And it doesn't perform as well. And I'm thinking, but oh. it doesn't make the video any less beautiful. I like it, it's still a beautiful and like the people that comment on it, they, they loved it. But for some reason, those vanity metrics do have an effect on me. And the and the the YouTube Studio app says, oh well, this didn't perform as well as your last three videos. You know, it, it, it's it's a big old thumbs down. But it's actually it, it it does it stifle your creative process because I know that it has affected it affected me in the past, and I've had to sort of rethink my relationship with the views because uh, it could just be as simple as like the thumbnail wasn't that good or the title wasn't clickbait enough um but it you know so what are your thoughts uh i actually get so frustrated with the algorithm because i will literally spend i went to the dentist and i just recorded myself i wasn't talking in it and then i just did a voiceover it was like a four minute video it took me a half an hour to edit and it like massive like the views were massive and I was like people really just want me to want to see me transfer once into a dentist chair like that's it that's what and then another <laughs> one I will spend like a month researching all this time recording I will put all these things into the video graphics and give them like a a thing they can download and like crickets and I'm just like I don't get it the things that I think are helpful to people are not I thing sometimes I don't know it's really frustrating I if you ask my husband he would tell you that I've been like what I don't get it it makes no sense why is this video number one and he's like are you complaining that this has lots of views and I'm like no I'm just I'm confused because you want I don't know if you're like me you just want to kind of learn what what people want and what the algorithm is sort of Ben, like what'll benefit you with the algorithm and you, I can't figure it out. So maybe I'm just not looking hard enough, but it's annoying. And I have kind of given up on caring about the views when it comes to that, just because 
I do care about the views and this might seem like really um, superficial, but I, because I'm uh, a monetized YouTuber, it bugs me that there's an inconsistency with monetization. So it's really hard mm. to see myself, to see it as a job because one month and I'm just totally transparent. Like the most I've ever made on YouTube is like $2,500 a month. And then it'll go down to like $300 a month. And it's like, how does anybody make a living doing this? So I can totally like, I echo that it's like hard being like, is this a job? You know what I mean? Is this what I really want to do for yeah. my life to make money? Cause it's inconsistent for sure. And it's annoying. So that is more frustrating to me now necessarily than the judging the quality of my videos on how many views it gets because yeah, I'm just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I completely agree. Some videos like, like my most popular video is uh, <laughs> no surprise. Um, but it's, 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 it was about my leg spasms. And uh, it was like, it was just sort of like, I, I, it was completely innocent. I was like, oh, you know, like th this is, these are my leg spasms and uh, I have to deal with this every day. Boom, like 13,000 views. And the rest of my videos like average like 300. And I'm like, oh, why is this so popular? And then I found out about devotees and I was like, oh, what? People really like leg spasms? Like that's, that's odd. That's weird. Um, but then I was like, shall I make more videos about leg spasms? I don't really want to do that. <laughs> I know, right? I've literally thought about that so many times. I'm like, should I just make a video about my feet? Because, but then, you know, my husband's always like, those aren't the people you want watching your videos anyway. Because for the first, my, probably the first year, which was super discouraging, you can like go into the uh, analytics and see the other channels that your, your um, subscribers are watching. And it was all like creepos. I swear to God, it was like a uh. uh, paralyzed girl in a wheel, like all these channels that were just like paralyzed women in wheelchairs. And it wasn't even like helpful channels. It was just people compiling other videos or like things on the internet about women in wheelchairs. And I was just like, this is annoying. And then once I got past like that hump where those people, I guess I could thank them for watching my channel so much because they got the algorithm to push it out to more people. And the more people saw it, the more people who needed the actual content um, kind of got a hold of it. And now it's much, much more like genuinely interested people in, in, you know, what life in a wheelchair is like. And I get about 50% people who aren't in wheelchairs and are just curious and like 50% people who are in wheelchairs and need help. And so, yeah, but it's that whole, yeah, that whole sector of like weird fetishes is you did. I didn't know it existed until I was in a wheelchair and, you know, had something with my feet on the internet then then it was yeah. like people yeah weird me too me too i had no idea and i was going to ask you about devotees like what what is your opinion of them because i know that there's a mixed view i know that also there's also mixed devotees um for those people who are unaware what a devotee is it's someone who is attracted to someone in a wheelchair um and i think there are some people that are creepy you know they like feet and spasms and that's like their sort of fetish but uh, i've heard so a lot of positive uh stories about women in wheelchairs finding partners that are devotees and traditionally they could be like either firefighters or in the army or like i guess people that are, are big and strong and they want to protect someone and it's not to do with the fetish it's more of a uh, I, I don't know but to be honest I, th I th there's part of me that's like oh my god there's like a whole like group of people that love people in wheelchairs like what a, what a great 
what a score, you know? Like, you, when you first get injured, you're like, am I ever going to find romance again? You're like, yeah, there's loads of people that love you just because you're in a wheelchair. But then there's also this juxtaposition of like, well, I'm, just, I'm more than just the wheelchair, you know? So I wanted to ask your opinion on, on that. Um, I, I think that devotees are just like any other, you know, thing in the world. There's good ones and there's bad ones. There's creepy ones and there's, you know, ones that don't have bad intent. Um, there's guys that are like this just in general, like men that are like this, women that are like this. Um, so I don't think the, the concept of devotees is necessarily a bad one. I think that it's a great thing that there's people out there that find a wheelchair attractive because there's enough women and men in wheelchairs that lose self-confidence about how attractive they are after their injury. And I think knowing that there's a whole class of people out there that all, not just because I guess, but part of the reason they're super attracted to you is because you have a disability. I think that's kind of a cool thing. It would be no different uh, in my yeah. mind than somebody saying, I, you know, like, black people or Asian people or whatever. And they just have like a preference for that race because they find them super attractive, the qualities of them, you know, tall, fast, whatever. Like, um, it's just a quality that people prefer. And for some reason it's kind of gotten a bad rap. So I don't think it's a bad thing just in general. And I've definitely had my share of devotees contact me. Um, and some of them are very nice. They're like, Hey, I'm a devotee. I just wanted to let you know, but I like your channel just wanted to ask you some questions. Um, are you single? That kind of stuff. And they're not weird. And then other ones that are like relentlessly like texting me or messaging me that I've had to like block them. They're like, I know where you live, like weird. And you're just like, okay. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Like uh, just crazy over the line stuff. Um, but I don't think that has anything necessarily to do with being a devotee and having a preference uh, or something that you find attractive. I think it's just, a you know, that person's odd. And just like any other thing, that person might be slightly over the line in, in lots of things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, segueing away from devotees, um, because I think, you know, there's, there's such a, a good conversation to be had there and we should, ju you know, judge every everyone, you know, on, on their own merit, I guess. Um, but I wanted to really ask you um, about, because you, you've started a family. It's something that I really want to do. But um, I guess for it, it, I'm I don't have the I don't have to be the one that carries the baby, and I really wanted to ask you. I know that you've documented it on your channel, but what was it like getting pregnant? You know, in a wheelchair because I can imagine it being absolutely terrifying. You know, it, it, so you know, was it was it a planned pregnancy? Um, tell me more. No, no, it was not a planned pregnancy. So it probably couldn't have been the like. <laughs> more like let me it probably couldn't have been a worse situation when I got pregnant sorry that was like me trying to say all these words at once um so I had just broke up with my boyfriend of seven years he was my boyfriend since I was 14 to 21 I'd broken up with him six months later I met my now husband I was in my second year of university I was going to school to be a teacher and I had only been with Joe for six months. My parents weren't really sure about him. And then I got pregnant completely unexpectedly. I knew how it worked. So I always say it was like an accident, but I know how pregnancy works. Um, so yeah, it was, I was not planned and it was terrifying because one, I was in my second year of university. I was, that was not my plan. Um, my parents were still getting really comfortable with Joe. Uh, and I'd only been with him for six months. So I wasn't even sure whether it was like a forever thing. 
Uh, so yeah, it was like a whole bunch of stuff that just terrified me. But, um, and I don't know if I tell many people this story, but I was like really afraid of being a mom. And then I like was driving to school and on the back of this one car was just a giant bumper sticker with a baby that said, choose life no matter how oh. it shows up. And I was like, oh, that's it. I'm like, it's going to be fine. Like it was just a really good reminder to me that life sometimes gets chosen for you and you just have to roll with it. And I think when you have a disability, you kind of learn that a lot. Like there's mm. lots of stuff that comes that you are uncertain and um, most of it we're able to sort of tackle and figure out. And I did the same thing with being a mom, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a really scary, stressful time. And then once I figured out that it wasn't that hard to be a mom in a wheelchair, then I was golden. But before that, I was like, I yeah. don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to be alone at home. And uh, how did how did Joe feel? Because you you were pregnant with Jacob. Uh, and, and and how old were you? Uh, how, how old am I now? How old were you when you were pregnant with Jacob? Oh, so I was 22. So I had just broken up with my boyfriend at 21. And then my birthday was in January. And I found out I was pregnant in... So I, I'm not sure if I got pregnant... I can't think of the timeline, but he was born in he was born in October, and I thought I found out that I was pregnant like end of February. So I think I got pregnant in when I was twenty two, but I yeah. I can't do the math right now. So how did how did Joe feel when he found out? Because it must have been a quite a shock for him as well. Uh, thank God he was like so so happy. Um, when I told him that I was pregnant, he was like, oh my God, I love you so much where I'm telling my parents. And I was like, can we just like keep it under wraps for a while? And he was just like over the moon, so happy because he was 30. So he was like older. Um, and his parents really liked me. And so for him, it wasn't scary because he was kind of ready for that. But I was like, what? So I'm so thankful that he was very happy otherwise i probably would have been more stressed out yeah that's incredible that's incredible so uh this personal question but were you ever tempted to like terminate the pregnancy and, and were you ever like get cold feet and be like you know what i'm not ready for this i'm bloody in a wheelchair i'm in university this wasn't planned it uh yeah totally crossed my mind and that's why that bumper sticker was so important for me because was, I was actually driving around going like, is this something that I can even do? Uh, is this going to ruin my life? Um, and so I, like, I'm not proud that I had those thoughts, but it's just totally realistic. I was just like, what if I can't do this? Um, and yeah. And then in the end, I think, I think Jacob saved my life. I was just, <laughs> oh, I was so, so I was so I was going down, not like a bad path, but I was in my second year of university. So drinking, partying, that kind of stuff. And obviously when I got pregnant, I couldn't do any, any of that stuff anymore. And I think it really sort of made me reevaluate like what is important. And my husband always says, <laughs> like, he's like, you didn't drink a day after that. He was like, you used to be, and I'm not like, not that I'm not fun now, but I'm definitely, I'm an old lady who drinks tea. All day long yeah. and not the, you know, drinking out of a, a rum bottle partying till like 3 a.m. when I was in university. So, yeah, that's incredible. So what was it like um, being pregnant in a wheelchair? I mean, it's it's day to day life is difficult enough being in a wheelchair. But, you know, when you're 
pregnant and you've already got like uh, incontinence issues, you know, and pregnant ladies are, you know, renowned for yeah. having incontinence and also the transfers and the later stages, like what, it must've been such a challenge. What, what were some of the hardest challenges that you faced? I think for me, uh, the, the hardest thing was the bathroom, like the bladder stuff. Cause my bladder's already small. So I remember having lots of bladder infections, which was annoying. Um, but other than the increased incontinence and bladder infections, I, it was not really that hard. I wasn't sick with Jacob. I didn't have like no energy. I was pretty good. I was a, like a little low in iron, things like that, that normal pregnant women get. But it wasn't, I don't feel like other than UTIs and incontinence, it was that big of a deal for me. Um, I have heard of other women that have had a harder time. Um, but I'm wheeling my body around anyway, an extra, I, I didn't gain very much weight. So it wasn't like I was wheeling a whole ton around. I think I gained like 12 pounds or something. Um, so yeah, it was, it was not a whole lot of extra to wheel around and I seemed to be okay with my transfers and stuff. I made sure though, when that Joe was home, when I did the transfers, cause God forbid, if I fell off the toilet or something, uh, I wasn't getting back up with a pregnant belly. So yeah, I think it was like, not too big of a deal for me. Um, but maybe that's just me having a bad memory. I mean that, yeah. I mean, through the lens of nostalgia, well, it wasn't that bad, but at the time there's this, the, the experiencing self versus the remembering self, like you're like, Oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. But at the time you have been like, Oh my God, you know, but then, um, when you were pregnant with Jamie, uh, was that, uh, was that different? We was, was that a planned pregnancy? Jamie was a planned pregnancy. So I went, I went back to university when Jacob was 10 months. So I took a year off from university when he was born. And then I went back when he was 10 months and then I finished my degree with a baby, which was really wow. hard because I was in a, I'm in a wheelchair, had a baby. So I was doing all of my like finals and taking him to daycare and doing all of that stuff. So when I finished my degree, I was like, I need a break. I need a break. So I took a break from school and then we got married and then uh, we tried for Jamie and that was totally planned. And funnily enough, you know, Jacob, boom not planned and he comes right away and i want jamie i'm planning for jamie and it took like a year to get pregnant like it was i was like really this is like oh, the really? ultimate irony um but it was okay because um i wanted jacob to be a little bit older anyway so we started trying when he was two and a half and then she was born when so i guess it was a little less than a year she, he yeah she was born when he was four so and uh, apart from the YouTube, did you ever use your, um, have you, have you done any work like since your spinal cord injury? Like I know that you compete, you completed your university yeah. stuff, but did, have you, did you work? Um, when Jamie was about 18 months old, I started a nonprofit, a chapter of a nonprofit here uh, in Canada. It's a society called the Tetra Society and they make assistive devices for people with disabilities. So um, they were looking for somebody to open a, a branch of that in Edmonton, which is where I'm from. And so I did that for four years, um, which was, I guess you would, it would, I would consider it part-time-ish. It was mostly just um, recruiting volunteers and kind of getting the, the chapter established here, making connections with other organizations. And then once it was kind of up and running. Then I moved on to other things. Um, and then I, when Jamie was in kindergarten, I started uh, substitute teaching, but 
other than basically being uh, the chapter coordinator for the nonprofit and a substitute teacher and my YouTube. And in university, I worked um, as a camp counselor. Those were, yeah, the only jobs that I've ever had. That's cool. That's cool. So working with a disability with two children, um, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's what any mom would do, any, any person would do usually that is in society that needs to eat. So, um, but I, I do feel proud of myself that I went back and got my degree and stuff like that. Because um, that was hard. It was yeah, hard. I think you should. Yeah. I think you really should be proud of yourself. Um, I spent, uh, after my injury uh four years unemployed and uh it's like where i live the healthcare is really good and they pay me well for not having a job and it's hard to have the motive when the motive when the motivation isn't financial it's like oh well you know do i really want to get a job and and now i've just started a job i've been working for um my employer skidi gonzalez for uh three months now and i love it it gives so much structure to my day um, I, ironically, I get so much more done with so much less, so much less time. If you give me a, a to-do list and all day to do it, I will procrastinate all day. Whereas if you say, oh, you know, I start work at three and I finish at eight, I'll, I will do so much before three o'clock. You know, I'll like go to the gym, I'll go swimming, I'll be you know, all the things on my to-do list, go shopping, do all my errands, and then I'll come to work and I've got a great team that I work with. And, uh, it's just brought so much, um, joy and structure and routine to my life like it's so bizarre not having a routine can be so destructive and i would encourage anyone with a spinal cord injury if you can return to work then then definitely do because it's it's brought me it yeah well it, it's just an it, also if you enjoy your job it really it really helps that like i really enjoy my job and and, and the team here are great but yeah it, it's really wonderful um so do you what do you have any advice for anyone that's like uh like newly injured my biggest advice for people that are like newly injured is to set the bar higher than other people will ever set for you because you're capable of more than other people will ever, ever give you credit for. Uh, and that's not their fault. I think people just naturally see people with disabilities and they set a kind of a lower bar and be like, oh, if you, you know, if you do anything, you're great. You're sitting in a wheelchair and it's amazing. Mm. Um, and it, we should feel proud of ourselves, even for small things, because sometimes it is really challenging to be in a wheelchair. So I'm not saying that people shouldn't feel proud of themselves if, you know, they've only managed to get out of bed that day, have a shower, cook supper, that kind of stuff. But if you if you want more for your life, then set the bar wherever it makes sense for you. If that day showering and cooking supper is the bar and when you you know reach it you're like woohoo i'm super proud of myself but if you start to feel like i want more out of my life than this then set the bar higher and i like you had a low bar for a while quite a while um i actually got an insurance like a payout in my accident uh, so i have like an insurance annuity and so um yeah when you don't have like a financial uh, incentive to go to work consistently and stuff, then it can sometimes kind of be like, uh, and then you're like, what do I, what am I doing with my life really? Um, and so, yeah, that's why, that's why I always found something else to do, even if it was just small. Uh, and now I have a totally different outlook on what work is. It's something to actually help me grow as a person. And for me, 
creating a higher, a, like higher um, income, I guess, is for me to be generous and give to other people and give back to other people. So I'm not just going to work now for myself. I'm going so that I leave something to my kids and I can help other people in wheelchairs and do cool stuff. Uh, for them, giveaways, whatever, if there's somebody that I think really needs help. So yeah, just having those incentives, um, I think is important. But yeah, set the bar. That's my advice is set the bar higher than other people are going to set for you. Yeah. Because I remember when you first got injured, well, not firsthand, but from uh, your story, is that you, well, I know that you were quite young, but you, your mum took care of you quite a lot, didn't she? And, uh, mm -hmm. and I know that you were probably suffering. So I know that your, your friend Blake passed away and that must've been really painful emotionally, but to get your, to, to sort of, I guess, outsource your self-care to your mum for so long was, was easy, yeah. you know, and, and, and it was, it wasn't until you moved out of home when you pushed outside of your comfort zone. And then when you realized what you could do, and I think, uh, if I, if I, if I'm right, it's when you met the, the quadriplegic a quadriplegic lady mm -hmm. and she sort of was a bit of a tough love and she was like you know you can take care of yourself better yeah what you know what why are you doing that so uh and, and that was the catalyst that you needed yeah that was the catalyst I needed I I was from a small town and I didn't see anybody like I said before that looked like me that I could even remotely see uh myself in you need somebody to relate to you need somebody that you can relate to I think and it was really easy for me to make excuses because I didn't have anybody. If somebody told me, you know, you should be doing more, I just could tell myself all day long that they didn't know what I was going through and they didn't have any, they weren't one to talk. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I spent four, almost five years with my mom, literally not just like caring for me a lot, but entirely. I couldn't put on my pants, I couldn't transfer, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself, I couldn't cath. My mom had to come home for lunch to cath me. She had to get up in the middle of the night if I needed to pee. It was literally like having a baby again and I feel so bad for like the five years that I put my poor mom through that. Um, but yeah, it was it was not great for sure. And, uh, and I felt bad about myself because I knew I was, deep down I knew I was capable of more and I think that's why for me my advice is always set the bar higher because everybody around me you know just was like that's okay and my mom always said she knew I would sort of snap out of it but I'm like what if I didn't what if I didn't what uh, if I didn't so um eventually I needed somebody to tell me that the bar was really low and uh Luckily, I respond well to tough love, and now she's like one of my best friends in the world. So, yeah, yeah, that's good. I I think I had the same, uh, not to that extent, but when when you first get injured, it's very hard because you you feel very sorry for yourself. You don't know what's possible. And to be honest, I am so so happy that uh, I live in the time of YouTube because I found Wheels to Walking. Uh, Richard from Wheels to Walking reached out yeah. to me. Well, I reached out to him personally and he mentored me. And through his videos, like he started his channel basically when I got injured. So like every week there'd be a new like kick-ass video about like living life in a wheelchair and being awesome. And I'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Like what, a, you know, th that was such a fantastic role model for me. Like he, he literally saved my life. He absolutely, I credit 
I was in a very, very deep, dark place. I was uh, suicidal. I've documented it all on my YouTube channel. Uh, these are the videos that people oh. really relate to, you know, and it's really weird because some, sometimes I'll get comments on like an old video and I'll be like, oh, I didn't even think anyone would watch that again. And like the YouTube uh, vanity metrics like, oh, this video only got like 180 views. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a failure. But if someone comments like, oh, this video saved my life, like my friend Simeon told me, he's like, that's worth a million views. And I was like, you're right. You know, like, don't know why I let YouTube tell me like my self-worth and what my, what my creative endeavors are worth. But I was going through a really dark, and that's what actually inspired me to create videos as well, because I was like, oh, well, if, you know, he's helped me, maybe my, maybe my story can help other people. And it's sort of like this circle of, um, of, of, of love. And uh, I guess, uh, I didn't like, I guess, mean to be a role model. I just thought I'd document my life along the way. And, you know, when I first started driving or when I first started doing new things, I would document them. And then, and it was also really nice that because I documented them to look back and like see how far I've come. Uh, I've got a video where I talk about like, I was, it took me two hours to do a poo and I was really stoked because the day before it took me three and a half hours to do a poo. And I was like, oh man, I've almost like halved my personal best. <laughs> so, um, and it's lovely to have documented uh, that um, for, for other people to watch, you know, it, it's really great. And um, I, you know, I could say I credit Richard with, with, just well, just being such a good egg and just reaching out and like personally and through it through his YouTube channel and um and I also like uh, so what that was the motivation for you to start your channel or two like to to be a role model. Yeah, my motivation was entirely to help thirteen year old me. Uh, every time I think about the years that I lost feeling sorry for myself or not really just being lost entirely. I lost years being lost uh, because I didn't know any better. And uh, I think that's what information and knowledge is power. And if you can see somebody that looks like you, that you can relate to, then you have less excuses to make and you have somebody to look up to. You have somebody to ask questions uh, to. You have somebody to reach out to. And I think if you don't have that, it can get really lonely and you can feel like you don't have, you can, you get that thing where you're just like, nobody else knows what I'm going through. And, um, I think that's the power in social media, in YouTube, in, you know, this beautiful sort of platform that we have now to be able to share our lives. There are horrible things about it too, but I think especially for people that, there are not very many of us worldwide, even with spinal cord injuries. There's only 4,000 people in the province I live in. You might get, you know, hundreds of people in your city, but you, you don't know where these people are and having somebody that you can just like type in your question on the internet and it pops up. And that's why I'm brutally honest on my channel, because there are so many questions that people are too afraid to ask. Um, and I, that was me. I would never ever ask somebody how they went to the bathroom or, you know, what was it like to have sex or, you know, how long does it take you to poop? I would never, ever, ever have had the confidence to ask that of somebody in a wheelchair. So, um, I make sure that I just say the things that people are thinking uh, before they have to ask them. And sometimes it's like not great and I worry about embarrassing my kids but ultimately I hope they understand that it comes from a good place and not just me trying to get like clicks because I have had people comment a few times <laughs> especially in videos that my kids are on that you know I'm just one of those like horrible YouTubers that makes their kids go on and I'm just like 
that's when you want to be like, no, I, I, I'm not. And you, but no, I don't. not at all. I love, I love the videos. My, some of my favorite videos are with like that. One of my favorite videos is with you and Jamie, when you're sat in the little sort of like mm -hmm. cubby hole and she's like, welcome to my mommy's YouTube channel. And that is so beautiful. That was, she is so adorable. How can you not love Jamie? She is just so, so, so lovely. But on the other hand, I do sometimes think, if I'm going to be brutally honest, um, the the video that you did about um, like the sexual positions, I was like, whoa, like, I mean, you talk about um, embarrassing your kids. I was thinking like, you know, because kids can be quite mean if you're like, hey, I saw your mum dry humping your dad on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, my son is in grade nine. So he's had he had a day like that last year, actually, when he was in grade eight, where some kids found my YouTube channel and it was... It was uh, a day for him. So now I don't tell anybody because I'm a teacher. I used to tell kids about my YouTube channel, um, but I don't anymore. And uh, I make sure that my kids aren't like spreading it around. Um, but then I decided to be on a national TV show. And actually, they recorded that video at the same time I was recording it. So it's going to be on national TV. So hopefully my kids get my son's getting like, He's pretty good at like having a, a tough skin and being like, I don't care what you think. Um, and luckily, most kids think it's pretty cool that his mom's a YouTuber. So even though I have some weird stuff on my channel, um, it's been okay so far. But that is something I worry about. I for sure worry about that. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see like that video was like super informative uh, for people, especially women who like d you know didn't know what sort of what sort of sexual positions were possible with, like after paralysis. It was really informative, but also, oh my god, I was like, I was like, oh like Brittany, like whoa, this is this is racy, this is racy stuff. This is uh you know, and also like brilliant clickbait. Like uh, th that video has got like insane amount of views, um, which again is not really important, but it's um. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a brave brave video, bold. It took me a long time to get the confidence to do that video. A because I was worried about how it would affect my kids. Um, B I was worried about what my parents would think. Uh, C because I had to convince Joe because he was like, mm. I have a job, <laughs> and so there was like a bunch of factors that you know went into me thinking about whether to do that video but ultimately the videos that I do and the parts of my life that I show are because somebody out there is wondering it and somebody out there like me uh is too afraid to ask and so uh yeah it always comes from a good place even though yeah there's I'm not going to pretend that I never try and use clickbaity titles or things like that um, cause I do, uh, but I always try and deliver something of what I say in the title and, uh, the, the more confident I get in myself as a person and the more it matters to me, the intention behind the video, the more I care less about the vanity metrics and more about that one comment, even if mm. it's doesn't get very many views. Cause those are the things that keep me going. It's not the, yeah. not how many people click on it. It's the people that say this really helped me. So, yeah. Disability discrimination being dramatized on social media. Is it useful or is it just click farming? Um, I, that's like a really loaded question. 
it really depends for me on if the issue matters to me. And I know that's like a terrible answer, but like if an issue matters to me, I'm like, yeah, like yell it from the rooftops. And if I'm like, what, why are you complaining about that? And I guess that's just human nature, but um, some things really are important to me. Um, and then other things aren't, it's more important to me how people treat people with disabilities um, and how they uh, view inclusion. So that's important to me. So I like things that are about that, but not in the way that's like preachy and, uh, you know, like you're doing this wrong. I hate that kind of uh, content because at the end of the day, I think if you can't relate to somebody or if you're yelling at somebody, then they're immediately defensive and they're not relating to you at all. They're just kind of figuring out how you're different than them and how they can defend themselves. So um, I don't like the the way content is shared sometimes, but certain things I don't like. I don't like when people harp, you know, insane amounts about some wheelchair accessible or inaccessible thing. And it's like a little thing, like it's a curb this high going into something or, and everything else is like perfect. I'm like, okay, they did a million things right. And you're saying they discriminated against, discriminated against me because they had like a two inch curve or something. And you're just like, no, actually they were trying and didn't quite hit the mark, but that's different than discrimination. So there's like different things like that that drive me freaking bonkers. But yeah, I guess it depends yeah. on if it, the, if, what the issue is. I have a, a bit of an issue with it. I've spoken about it on the podcast before, the way uh, the hashtag disability discrimination has been misused completely um, because something is is inaccessible or someone's, for example, plowed a road and prioritized the road. And because the the snow on the sidewalk, they're like, this is disability discrimination. It's like, no, it's, it's you know, you, you can't, you know, uh, expect everything to be accessible. Like I, my sort of motto is you can't expect the world to adapt to you, you should adapt to the world as best you can. At the same time, I do believe that there are causes worth fighting for. Uh, but I just th feel like sometimes, like you say, people misuse it. They, they, they say this is discrimination. Well, they'll go to like a hotel room and they'll complain about like the, the, the tiniest things. And you're going to be like, well, like, what about, like you say, what about all the things that they did do right? I mean, that, uh, there's one part of me that's like, yeah, people need to be educated, but sometimes people complain a lot of people, but then do, and there's part of me that's like, do people with disabilities complain too much or do people complain too much or does the algorithm reward outrage? Like we were saying about clicks and views. Like if you put, like if I put like a video saying, oh, I managed to um, get in, in and out the swimming pool without the lift, um, people will be like, oh, nice, well done. If I'm like, hey, they should have had a lift and they didn't have one, <laughs> then people will be like, oh, yeah, fuck the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It. I think the algorithm rewards anger and negativity. I think it's just, I think it's human nature. That's why the news is terrible and awful and, you know, so I think that's part of it. Um, and I don't think you really get anywhere by complaining. Like I've, the way that I've, gotten anything in my life is just by showing up if something isn't accessible and I can tell there's been times that I've been angry that things are inaccessible and I've shown my anger and it didn't go over well and there's been times that I have gone and I've been like 
you know, hey, this is, you know, I love your establishment. It's great. I love coming here. These are the things I love about it. This is why I come here. This is how long I've been coming here. And oh yeah, and this is something that you should improve on. And literally like when I've had that attitude, 20 minutes later, they've gone into the bathroom, started like tools in hand, you know, changing uh, the direction of the door on the accessible stall and like all that stuff. But if I've been angry, then it's been like, fuck her. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Yeah. I don't want her in here anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's one of the things that people have to, people have to know and like you in order to want to help you. And if they don't um, know you and they don't like you, they don't want to help you. And I think there's a lot of people that um, they make people not like them and not want to help yeah. them. So, but I also think that people aren't really like that in real life. There, there's a there's a different beast that comes out on social media. Like I say, oh, the, the yeah. algorithm rewards outrage, and people wouldn't say things to people that they would that they would say on the social media and um it it strikes me as odd like i'm a form of i'm a fan of long form content like we you and i both make youtube videos but at the same time we're competing with like uh instagram and like short form and tiktok and and that i don't so this is the the, the sort of relationship that i struggle with like i make a lovely youtube video which i think oh, is really worthy of of my time perhaps it may be a little bit self-indulgent you know like why would you spend 10 minutes looking at this youtube video when you could spend 30 seconds scrolling through tiktok i don't use tiktok but um i'm assuming it's shortening people's attention spans and i don't want to like lower my so i guess not dignity or or but my but my form of um content to appease uh people's attention spans but there's this sort of a battle like i also don't want no one to watch my video you know what i mean so yeah. uh do you have do you have do you have the same struggle with that uh yes i i really don't like social media at all uh like instagram tiktok uh i don't think about posting it's not something that i think about posting on youtube because it's long form content i think about the thing that i'm going to show i think about how to record the story and tell it and then i put that together and i put it out uh, whereas social media like TikTok and Instagram, Facebook, those things are, you know, in the moment where you're posting a photo, sometimes you do it afterwards, but it's just that like the short snippet of time that you actually have to think about it and do it. And I'm more of like, I'm going to take the content and then I have a day where I'm editing and posting and you can do that with social media and probably I should, but I don't know. I just, am, I'm struggling with that right now a lot. Uh, I don't consume that type of social media a lot. So it's hard for me to think about the types of social media to actually create or how to clip my current content into that kind of consumable content. So um, yeah, I struggle with that a lot. Not that I don't like TikTok when I'm on it. Like I, my kids watch it and I go on it and I'm like, oh, that's such a funny video or that's a great way to, yeah. to do things. And I think there are ways to make life in a wheelchair um, look funny or interesting in that form of content i just struggle i guess with the creative side of me on how to actually do it um but yeah i don't know one thing that i'm experimenting with and i keep saying this to people and i'm gonna do it i promise sometime <laughs> this year uh is making like skits funny skits about life in a wheelchair so that might be something that goes more easily on tiktok or um instagram but yeah, I just don't think about it. I don't know. It just 
I feel like I'm already on my phone enough. And I'm like, if I were having to answer comments on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, uh, I don't know. I don't know what I would do because I have an email list that I answer email. So I don't know what I would do. I just don't know how people do it. Yeah, I know that when you were saying about, um, I think I made a video saying, oh, this is the last vlog, <laughs> whatever. Uh, and then you were like, oh, no, let's keep making content. I think that's where I, uh, my frustration comes in. Like, I'm just going to stop sharing my life on the internet. I feel like I've given enough. Like, uh, why do you know? Uh, so I, I struggle with it too. In fact, I was going to uh, ask, um, you have such a supportive husband. Uh, Joe is uh, incredible. And uh, how does he feel about like being part of your videos? Because he seems to be. Sometimes he seems to be like really, really into it. And then sometimes uh, like if you're like filming in the car, uh, he's just there. He's just like, oh, well, I'm stuck in the car. So I guess I'm in the video. But he's still he's still like very chipper. And he's, he seems like such a genuinely lovely guy. So how does he feel about being part of your uh, creative videos? Uh, honestly, he the first year didn't like it at all. He was like, I don't want to be in any videos. <laughs> so it was a year of like <laughs> grooming. That's a terrible word, but me being like, you want to be in my videos. You should be in my videos. People are asking about you. Um, so the first year was kind of hard because he didn't really want to be a part of it at all, just because he was uncomfortable in front of a camera entirely. So I wouldn't say that he was unsupportive, but I wouldn't say that he was extremely supportive of my YouTube channel if he had to be in it. And now he's still kind of like that because every endeavor that I sort of take on he gets roped into it somehow I signed with a modeling agency that my friend has and then they asked my whole family to model and have so he's like what why do I have to do the things that you're doing and he, I ask him to film a lot and he's just like why do I have to film the thing that you're doing and I'm like because I can't do it very easily um and so there's definitely contention there um from time to time. But if it's something, if we're doing something fun and it's laid back, like we're on a family vacation or something, then he doesn't mind. But if it's like something that is on a weekend that he has plans and I'm like, I need to get this YouTube video out. Can you please help me? If it's that kind of a situation, then he's like, really, do I have to do this now? So I think it's more about like the 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 stress level he's under or the, the time crunch that I'm under that makes the difference uh. in how he, um, feels about it but he's one of those people and so am I like and this is awful sometimes I'm just like if you make a YouTube video and you're like not in a good mood and then you put the camera on and you're like hey welcome back to my channel you're like and then you like turn it off and you're like I hate you go away so uh there's 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 those kinds of times too but not very often yeah that's fantastic. That's so good. I think I had the same relationship when I was with Lou. She used to be like, oh, because I would be doing stuff and I'd be like, oh, I'll film this for the YouTube channel. And I quickly whip my phone out. And then she would sort of like groan and be like, oh, why can we just not, can we just enjoy the moment? Do we have to vlog it? And I'm like, yeah, people love it. People, you know, people really like, you know, they love it. And um, in the end, she, uh, I think she had a mixed relationship with it. Um, but yeah, uh, I I can I completely relate. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it it's nice. Like it's it's the, again, it's that juxtaposition of wanting to share the moment and, and realizing, oh, this is a wonderful moment that we that I could edit into and curate into a beautiful story, and share with people who will really love it. And also, oh, you know, can I be bothered? <laughs> yeah, and I that's that is like the best way I've ever heard anybody put it. Just that, like, oh, I don't want to. Um, so I, yeah, 
I struggled. Yeah, I just did a vlog about me getting ready for like this event that I was going to. And it was like, it was a painful like three days of, of me starting vlogging. And then by the end of the day, I didn't do anything. And then me picking it up the next day being like, it's been a day and a half since I vlogged. And, uh, and then I just like pieced it all together in this terrible concoction of like what I did in the three days leading up to this event. But yeah, it's, it's, I want the memories. I want the memories for myself and I want the story for my YouTube audience, but I don't want to take the, the footage. It's like a weird thing. And I guess if you could have somebody yeah. that was like an impartial person that was just following you around at all times, taking footage for you, that would be like the ideal. Um, but that's not realistic. So it's like I said, it's the shit sandwich of YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I can relate to that as well. Like, So what I've got into the habit of doing is, is if I'm doing something, I'll film it. Um, and then what I'll do is like a, like, a, like a piece to camera and I'll talk about it like a vlog. But then I'll just like roll a load of B-roll over the top rather than try and do it at the time. Like, oh, hey, here, here, this is Christmas, you know. <laughs> I'll just, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've sort of, I my relationship with you with creating content is has changed so it's mu I'm it's much healthier for me because I don't post very often at all. Uh, if I do have to post something, I'll be like, oh, you know, I recently became a mentor with backup, and I think, oh, that's something that it's a cool story. I'd love to share it. I'd love to share my experience. Um, and so yeah, I've I've sort of got off the hamster wheel of of content, if you like, and I'll just post uh, at, at 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 my leisure. Which I actually really love your vlogging style that way. Uh, and it inspired me to actually do more voiceovers because I was like annoying people when I was like taking content and I was actually vlogging in the moment and talking. It was sort of taking away from the whole experience and making it awkward and less authentic uh -huh. for the people around me. And so I was like, oh, like I just, Freddie doesn't, Fredo, I keep wanting to call you Freddie. I swear to God, I was like, okay. I won't do it again. I promise. I don't it's mind. Freddo. Uh, call me, call but me it's not Freddy. Like. It's it's Fred or Freddo, right? Yeah, I prefer Fred, but uh, it, it's fine. Oh, okay. So anyway, I was just like, yeah, Fred doesn't like, he doesn't talk to the camera and all the things. He's just like putting a bunch of B-roll over top, which I, that, that, the way you put the story together is very enjoyable to me. So I was just like, oh, that's really cool. Here, yeah, I've done, I've, I've picked up a lot of things for your channel that were um, helpful to me on my channel. That's brilliant. I love that. Thank you so much uh, for saying <laughs> that. That's uh, that because, so, like I say, sometimes I question like why am I even like making content and uh, and if it's to even just inspire other YouTubers, especially YouTubers I look up to like you, then that that's absolutely brilliant. And I say like I think it's a little bit more authentic if you can film and then talk about it and then lay the B-roll over the top because then you're not just you're not ruining the moment at the time. You're still capturing it, but you're still mm -hmm. telling a story. But yeah, you can be in the moment. It's like a compromise. It's a nice compromise. The other thing that like I never really uh, thought about with the voiceover and adding B-roll over top of it is I've had a couple people that um, are blind that have commented and said, thank you so much for changing your vlogging style because I don't know what you're doing in a music piece that's just no talking ah. and uh and i changed it after i saw your vlogs like that and so i don't always do it but i've done it now and i got people that were really thankful so 
Uh, we don't always know when we're doing something that's helpful or more appealing to somebody until they tell us, but it was, it made my channel more inclusive by picking up things that you've done. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more question. I want to, I want to segue away from YouTube because there's a question I really want to ask you, but how do you, how is your relationship with the whole like, comment, subscribe? Because I find I it just, it just, it's so cringy. I hate saying you know, smash the like button or like, or like leave a comment or like if, if, it, if it's something engaging, like, oh, it, this is what I feel. If you feel something, then feel free to comment. Uh, but like, you know, subscribe. I just, it, I feel like if you found, if you found value in the video, then you've got, you will like it, right? Like you're, you're, you're a grown up, you know, that if you like the video, then the YouTube algorithm will send you more videos like this. And if you really like it, then you'll subscribe. But I hate, like asking people to subscribe, it feels really cringy. And I just wanted to ask you how you feel about that. Uh, well, I can tell you the amount of times that hearing somebody uh, or asking, hearing somebody ask me to subscribe uh, has motivated me to subscribe. It's exactly zero. <laughs> I, I subscribe because I enjoy their content. So I, I used to say that in like the beginning and I'm just like, why am I saying this? People know what YouTube is. They know that if they enjoy the content, they can subscribe and see more of it or they can come back and Google. Like I have a couple people, they're not even subscribed. They're just like older folks that they just keep Googling my channel, which is fine because they don't want the notifications and all that stuff. Yeah. That's if that's how you want to consume content, that is up to you. I, I don't think people need to be told uh, how to consume your content. So I don't, I don't do that. I do say, like you say, if there's something that I want them to comment about, then I do. Cause my engagement is really important to me. So I'll say, comment this. And sometimes it's just simple. Like if you watch to the end, put a one, then I know who watched all the way to the end. Or like in one of my Christmas videos, I said, leave me a Christmas emoji if you get to this part. So some of the things like that I'll do just for fun for myself and fun for them. Um, but yeah, I, I hate that like subscribe turn on that bell notification <laughs> thing so you get notified next time I post new content like come on really yeah. I just don't like that yeah yeah we're it, it, very similar in that it feels really cheesy and inauthentic and I, I don't like it so yeah now one question I really wanted to ask you and this is what uh, actually inspired us to do a podcast is that you put out a newsletter and you said most people with spinal cord injuries would take bowel and bladder function over yeah. walking. And then I replied and I said, I don't think so. I have a different perspective. Imagine what you could do when you were walking, like all the possibilities if you had the use of your legs back. And, you know, how many times do you wee or poo in a day, but you could walk? Like, and how much easier would it be to clean yourself up if you could, if you could stand up? And then you said, do you know what? Yeah. That's an interesting perspective and I wanted to discuss it and I said, well, why don't we talk about it on the podcast? So, I literally have changed my perspective on that entirely and I, I don't know why I never thought about it the way that you had put it before, but it's so obvious to me now. I'm like, why would I ever choose bowel and bladder? Especially like maybe it would I would worry if I like had an accident or something standing up because now if I have a pee accident and I sit down it's under my butt yeah. so that might be something that I would worry about more but I'm like you know adult diapers whatever um but you could still go and hike with your family wear a diaper you know what I mean mm. um so I I think my perspective on that has changed 
I think it, I think the legs do make everything easier. And I thought that was really interesting. But still, when you take like a generic poll, I think when I poll my friends, it's always bowel and bladder. And I always had that saying that walking is overrating, overrated because of that. So, but yeah, I don't know why, just the way you explained it and you're like, you know, these things would be way easier, even if you still couldn't use your bowel and bladder, if you had the use of your legs. It just made me think about it a lot more than I've ever thought about it. So now I think my perspective has totally shifted, which is really funny because I've been saying the same thing for years. And one, one really good argument has got me like, whoa, that's mind blown. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting um, because I would, I would be interested to know if other people felt the same way. Also, I will have to say uh, there is a caveat to that. Like I don't suffer from fecal incontinence. I do uh, manual manual stimulation uh, for uh, doing a poo, and I use catheters. Yeah, and I also am very fortunate in the fact that I have sensation when I need to go for a, for a wee. So I'm like, oh, I need to do a catheter. Me too. And also, I realized you have that as well. I do have bladder sensation, so yeah. I I literally had maybe like two like poop accidents in the whole time that I've been paralyzed, which is like. 23 years so i don't get fecal incontinence either um but i do get the occasional like bladder incontinence oh. um but no, it's not usually like where i'm like soaked it's like a little wet spot yeah yeah and that's it exactly i can feel when i have to pee so if i've just like waited too long or i have a bladder infection or something then i'll leak um but yeah yeah so that is the caveat i can feel when i need to pee and using a catheter is really not that big a deal it really isn't um so but also yeah so also i found out this this isn't this is something new i figured so i thought when i need to we it's urgent you know i need to go now i figured out recently that i could actually hold it in like way better than i thought and it was when i was playing poker and i had a good hand and i was like oh man i gotta be in this hand and i'd like when i need a wee i kind of like wiggle my bum a little bit and i had managed to hold it in for for ages and then i was and then the, then the feeling went away and i was like wow i didn't realize that i could i thought this was like an alarm bell you know you need to go for a catheter right now and i was like oh it's gone away and then when i when next went for a wee it was even bigger and i thought oh that's that's incredible so that's that's new that's new for me so uh so saying there's a caveat that i can feel when i need to go for a wee i'm not incontinent and i'm not and i don't have fecal incontinence if i suffered from those things that might change if you know that would be that would that would be that would suck and i'm sorry if there is anyone out there that does suffer from that uh, i'm sure you agree that it sucks um yeah. i think i would still take walking <laughs> there's there i know like i have lots of friends in wheelchairs and a lot of them do suffer from incontinence uh like pretty severe incontinence so i think that's why a lot of my friends would choose the bowel and bladder um back but yeah, it's, I, yeah, I have very minimal, uh, like pee incontinence and then yeah, no fecal incontinence. So it's an interesting concept though. I think it's a cool like question to ask. Um, and definitely, definitely a question that you can easily put on social media. So there's yeah. one piece of content for both of us. Well, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, then you can comment down below. <laughs> Exactly. Comment down below. What is your what is your uh, preference? If you had to choose one, if you couldn't have both, what would it be? Yeah. 
And I guess it, 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 it is a bit of a broader question. Like for me right now, I'd be like, oh, hell, I would definitely take walking because pooing isn't a problem. My bowel program takes like less than 10 minutes. Using a catheter isn't a problem. Uh, but walking would be a game changer. But if you said, okay, you can walk, but you will piss yourself and poo yourself, um, I would be like, mm, I, I, it's hard. I would probably, I'd really love to walk again. You know, like I know it's not everything, but like it would, it would open up so much. You know, um, it would it bring back a what's the word? Um, I, well, I, I'm assuming like my spasms would go away. I'm assuming that um, my muscle tone would come back you know i would uh get more exercise i'd be able to reach high things like it, it yeah i would yeah i think there's a lot of things that you could do yeah there's so much especially now that my kids are older and hiking and water skiing and snowboarding and uh, like all these things are things that like my kids are into that i'm just like see you later i'll go i'll watch <laughs> Um, it's, you know, annoying, um, and to have to sort of plan family things around things that I can do is uh. kind of frustrating for me. And like, I feel bad a lot. So if I could walk and eliminate that and just, you know, take a catheter with me and hop on a toilet and cath then yeah, because it's really, cathing isn't hard for me either. Like it's not yeah. that difficult. So yeah, exactly. Well, Brittany, I think uh, that's probably like a, a natural conclusion to the podcast, unless you've got anything you want to ask me. I probably have like a million questions I want to ask you, but it's your podcast. So uh, I don't I don't know. I have lots of questions just about life in general for you, but I can ask oh. those on like WhatsApp or whatever. But no, 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 please. Let's continue. I I, I, I had in my in my head, I was like going to keep the podcast like this, this, this length. But if we're in a flow of conversation and we've got each other here, do it. Let's, you know, if you've got any questions you want to ask me, fire away. I'd, I'd be more than happy to answer them. I was, I was just curious um, what you did, like, for a job before you were paralyzed. I was a chef uh, in a busy kitchen here in Morzine in France. I worked at a place called Le Bec Jean, which means yellow beak. And it was a brewery or a microbrasserie, which uh, is the word in French. And well, they brewed their own beer and we made some beautiful food and I cooked. And before that, I was a chalet host. So I would go into people's homes and cook for them. And that was a brilliant job. It was very fulfilling. People would give me the, mo like the most best compliments would be like, Fred, the best part of our whole holiday was you. And I'd be like, oh, that's so lovely. I would like draw pictures on a chalkboard and give them riddles to do every day. I would entertain the kids and I would cook for them. The only problem was I really wanted to snowboard a lot because I live in the mountains and it was too time consuming. Like six split shifts a week was just not good. But, you know, it was, uh, it was a great job. Like it was really, you know, like I feel like I'm quite a personable guy and like I could show off, I could, you know, when I could give people my personality and awesome food and for them to give me back wonderful compliments and you know entertain their children and um tell jokes uh, it was it was really wonderful so yeah that that's that's what i did before my accident yeah that sounds like a really cool job um were you paralyzed snowboarding i was yeah i yeah it was uh 2019 in january and i accidentally snowboarded off a cliff i have a youtube video all about it in fact i recorded a podcast 
with Pete, who was the guy who was there on the day that I got paralyzed. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to go watch that. I think I picked up your channel. Like, I know it was pretty early on, um, but I, I've never watched that video. Because uh, I remember, I remember like some of them were like really early on in your accident. Mm. Like you started recording videos how early on? Pretty much from from day one, but like when I started, when I picked up. I was the... gonna say, I thought I thought you were like in the hospital in some of them. Yeah, I was. So the way I started my uh, YouTube channel, it was I was it wasn't intentional. Like those videos weren't meant for anyone. I had a YouTube channel with like eleven subscribers or something, and I I picked it up. I started filming, just being like, oh, you know. And I think on the first video, I shit myself. <laughs> oh my god. I, I was in the bed and I, you know, I was completely paralyzed and I was just, it was just for friends and family. What I had was a, a group chat and I would upload a video to YouTube and then I'd share it to the group chat. And then people would like comment and say, oh, you know, like that was, you know, like well done on progressing and, and stuff like that. And yeah, I was in the hospital bed and I was like, boy, I think, I, oh, I definitely did just shit myself. And uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was embarrassing. That was like blog number one. But uh, and then I went on, and they they were very low quality videos, just me talking to the camera. But they were very very honest. Um, you know, I was talking about how sad I was, and if I'd ever be able to put my trousers on again, and and like, oh, today was a good day, today was a bad day, and and it was it was interesting because I didn't have a the YouTube algorithm or like the view count to 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 go on. It was just it was just me sharing it to. Uh, a group chat of my friends that, that were, that were interested. And then, uh, I kind of got a little traction. I never really shared on social media. In fact, the first ever video I shared on social media was for spinal cord injury awareness month. And for some reason I was, I was too embarrassed to share my vlogs. Um, and the first video I shared was how I pee and poo as a paraplegic. And I spoke about manual stimulation and catheters. And I shared that one on Facebook and, of all the videos to share, like the most, like, you know, my, the manual stimulation yeah, no thing was, yeah, it was like my, my, my deepest, darkest secret. If anyone finds out I do that, that would be horrible. And then I was like, just share it. Um, so yeah, a lot of it was also, I was on opiates a lot. So I was in, almost in this like bit of an opiate haze. So it was almost like I was like drunk filming, but you, you know what I mean? So it was almost like I was yeah. a bit high and oversharing a lot and. And that's how it started. And then I think through uh, talking to Richard and seeing his content, I was like, oh, maybe I could take this YouTube thing a bit more seriously. And then I started uploading. I guess I wanted to, I, I, th I think there was one point I made a conscious decision to, to try and be a YouTuber and like upload every week. And that's when my love-hate relationship started with like the views and the vanity metrics of like, well, why didn't it? You know, I made a really cool video, which I thought was a cool video. Um, it, was, it was, I think it was, it was really early on. It was like my cat had a sex change because I thought my cat had, and I thought it was a great clickbait thumbnail, but it was actually a really funny video because we took my cat to the vet. And what happened was the cat pissed on me. Um, and I was like, and Lou was like, do you really need to go back and get changed? I was like, yeah, I do. I've got cat piss on me. So anyway, we went back, got changed, went back to the vet. And the, the cat that we thought was a boy, um, he had like a little uh, sort of cut behind his ear, turned out to be a girl. Um, and and that, so that was really weird. The vet was like, oh, your, your cat's actually a girl. But then 
the funny bit was uh, when we went to the supermarket, I actually pissed myself. So I went to change my trousers because I had cat piss on me, but then I actually pissed myself. So it was actually a funny, um, what's the word? Uh, a funny story about spinal cord injury. And like, and, but I guess the, the yeah. thumbnail sucked, the title sucked, and the, the video bombed. And I was just like, oh, you know, screw YouTube. <laughs> that You do get like that, though, sometimes, because it's really, it is really annoying when you think something's funny. And I have this thing now where I will take out parts that are me legitimately like being myself, but because I think it's like a waste of time. So I struggle with like, you know, the rules of YouTube because sometimes they'll, you know, hear, you'll hear an expert that says, get to the point, be as concise as possible. People don't want to know, you know, all the stupid stuff you're doing all day. And then other people are like, People want to know who you are. Your personality is what sells and all that stuff. So I'm. there's a lot of conflicting information out there about how to actually be a successful content creator. And it's kind of like infuriating. Like it's so mm. exhausting sometimes to try and be like, what do I do? And I'm less worried about that now. I just like be myself. But um, you never really know who, like which video is going to help people. And I think that's the power of just being like, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm posting this. I don't care because, um, like somebody might have watched those early videos of yours that you're in the hospital and that's where they are exactly. And that's the thing that's going to help them. Um, and now they see you later on as a very successful, um, confident, funny, like all these things that you're still the same person. And I think you have a unique perspective in terms of like, um, disability and how you should exist in the world and how you relate to other people and what you deserve that entitlement piece I think is a really powerful perspective because there's so many people that feel they deserve to be entitled because they're paralyzed and oh. um so I think it's just posting whatever you think feel do is the most important thing and if one flops, who get who cares, right? But it's hard not to worry about that. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I I think like I can't even imagine posting myself early on. Like I can't even imagine the bravery uh, that that took when you weren't even sure. Like I I feel like I've got most of this figured out, um, and you were posting really before that. So I love the journey that people can find on your channel. Yeah. It's interesting because there was a time where I wanted to go back and like, so anyone, if anyone finds my channel now, uh, there, there's a part of me that wants to go back and, and delete like the rubbish videos. So like just, oh, they, these are just the best ones, you know, you don't, you, instead of having to siphon through all the, all the nonsense. Yeah. I had a guy recently who had watched all my videos from like day one to like present day. And I knew that that because he would comment on every one bit, oh, this is so funny. You are cracking me up. Like, honestly, I cannot believe. You know, like, and I was like, really? Like, this was four years ago. How on earth did you even find this? Like, how are you spending all this time, like, looking at my at my journey? But it, he found it very interesting, very entertaining. And it does craft a wonderful story, and it's and it's there. But, yeah, and I guess it, it's it's interesting, like, whether people want to watch it or not, it, it that's not my decision, but it's there, you know? And, and it, it's, it's my story, and my story, I've, I guess I've just documented my story from day one, you know, from, from being paralyzed to, to now. And I was a mess, you know, I, I, I was, I didn't, you know, I went from like not knowing 
thinking that I would, you know, like having to do a wheelie in a wheelchair, like, oh my God, like people saying like, to go down a hill, you have to wheelie. I'd be like, what? That's crazy to like, now I'm wheeling everywhere, you know, and like, I can drive. I'm very independent. Like I can live on my own. Um, there's so many things that, uh, I hadn't realized that, 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 that feel easy to me now. I'm like, oh, of course I can live on my own. Of course I can drive. Of course I can have a job. Of course I can be financially independent. You know, of course I can find new romance, you know, even, you know, after my injury, um, it, it things that you just, other people need to hear, you know, other people be like, really, you can do all that because like right now I'm broken in a bed and I feel like I can't do any of that. Like it, it might be easy for you, but like. I can't do what you can do and and it's it, it's possible you know so I like I I guess people find inspiration and hope in that and um I guess it was unintentional really it was but yeah yeah what do you um what do you think do you think that people have to um change their perspective in order to achieve the things that you just talked about like independence being able to drive uh, all that stuff or do you think they do it and that changes their perspective on disability. Do you know what I mean? Do you think they have to be like, believe they can do it in order to do it? Or do you think they have to do it in order to believe they can do it? Which comes first? It's, it's interesting um, because I read a book once. I made a video about this actually. It was uh, I read a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And it was basically the the, the premise of the, of, the, of the book was like, anytime you do something new, you're going to feel fear. And if you, if you wait for the fear to go away before you do something, you'll never do it. So you ha you, you're always going to be scared. And the only way to make the fear go away is to do the thing that you're scared of. Um, so I think that maybe answers the question. Like you kind of, you do have to set the bar high for yourself. You do have to have self-belief, but you have to do the thing. Like when I first went outside the rehab center, the world was so, so scary. I was like, oh my God, I had no idea how much the rehab center was flat and and smooth you know and, and like you know the my your comfort zone grows but you know comfort does stifle growth in a way you know what i mean and oh so much yeah uh so you've got to push outside your comfort zone and you will be scared you will feel fear uh but you've got to do it anyway i think that that's my total belief yeah i think that anything that i've ever done i've been terrified terrified to do it and then when I come out on the other side, I'm like, I did that. That wasn't uh, that bad. And then you're less afraid to do other things. And that momentum builds your confidence level uh, for bigger and, you know, better things. So, yeah, I was just curious about that because um, there's a lot of people out there that will tell you, you know, if you can. And I do think it takes a change in perspective, but I think sometimes you just kind of fake it till you make it. That's why uh, the saying is out there, because you just you don't feel normal when you're in a wheelchair, when you are first in a wheelchair, you feel weird and conspicuous and awkward and everything's hard. And then when you start going about your day and just going, okay, well, I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm going to go pee and I'm going to make breakfast and I'm going to go get groceries. Then every one of those little things builds your confidence for bigger things. And you eventually you go, wow, that this doesn't feel like it's taking up all of my energy. And I think that's the key. Right. And hopefully the thing that we're helping people uh, believe about themselves is that eventually it does become easier. And that's what I love about your channel is that they can see the whole thing, which you can tell somebody every day, all day that you've come through that journey. But it's so much, so much better for them to see it sometimes. So, yeah, I applaud you for 
having the courage to do that right from the beginning and continue uh, to do it even though you 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 know there's it's frustrating at times i'm glad you didn't entirely stop being a youtuber because yeah it's valuable well, thank you i appreciate that like if i do feel if i've got something valuable to share i will but also do you do you ever get the feeling that like something that was so big uh, like driving, for example, um, uh, I remember thinking, oh man, like driving's going to be so hard, you know, and then I literally got some, some hand controls off Amazon uh, and I just put them on and like, first of all, I was like, whoa, and then like, whoa, and I was like, okay. And then, and then like, I just started driving and I was like, ah, oh, okay. And then you just think, why didn't I do this months ago, months ago? It's given me so much independence. How did I wait so long to drive my car? All I needed was some 50 euro uh, bloomin' hand controls off of, off of Amazon, you know? And, uh, and I posted this on, um, on my YouTube channel and someone said exactly the same thing. They went and got the, the hand controls, they were driving and they were like, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. You know, uh, what, was, what was going on with me? Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to, again, hindsight, so uh, you, uh, you see things in hindsight you're like oh why didn't i do that sooner but at the same at the time it is difficult like you do build things up bigger in your head but um yeah uh can you relate to that surely i i think so i think when you're first paralyzed all the little things that you were little things in your life before are the big things going to the bathroom getting dressed driving uh, wheeling around outside, Th all those are all little things before, you know, walking outside, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, all of those things are little things and they become the big things. And I think partly it is because we make them big, bigger things in our head than they actually are. But I think that's human nature. I do that with, that's why I'm a procrastinator in general. That's because like, I, I just do that. I go, I make things bigger in my head. I make the task harder, longer, more arduous. And then when I do it, I'm like, oh, that's like took half an hour, I guess. And I, it's out of the way. And I, the worrying about it and the procrastinating was much more annoying than the actual task itself. So I don't know if I'm the only one that's like that, but uh, I'm just like that in general. And I always say that I'm a slow learner or maybe just a slow starter. Um, so that's sort of my life motto is just like, wait very, very long to do it and then do it and realize that I should have started sooner. Story yeah, exactly. Life. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's so easy to say this. Um, in hindsight, it's always 2020, but like even the four years I spent unemployed, I look back and be like, man, I could have, I could have done so much more in that time. I wasted that time. Um, but at the same time, it was part of my, you know, I think I was ready to start work way sooner. Like, I thought, do I really want to start work? You know, I, I quite like, you know, free money. <laughs> uh, who doesn't, you know, like, it's the dream. But I'd also felt I'd retired at like 38. And I was like, you know, like, what am I doing? I'm just whittling my days away at home. And I, yeah, I, I ended up, you know, starting a YouTube channel, doing a podcast. I did, you know, doing artwork, making music. Uh, I did have creative outlets, but still this job, it, like, again, if I could go back and be like, hey, idiot, go get a job sooner because it will bring you, it will, uh, it will bring more energy into your life. You'll uh, have not only tasks to complete, but people to interact with every day. And, you know, I, it's just, yeah. Um, so there's just so many things that I wish I'd done sooner. 
but I'm glad I've done now. And and I can share that with people. Again, it's it's nice to have a platform like like now and and someone might listen to this and be like, you know what, maybe it is time I get a job, you know, or maybe it is time I got some hand controls and maybe it is time I, you know, like it, like your example uh, was a really good example that like you were sort of, I guess, in that comfort bubble with your mum, and then you were like, well, bloody hell, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to live on my own now. And I've got to, and then also being put to shame yeah. by someone who was like more disabled than you. Yeah. Oh, and if I could go back and tell myself that, if you if you take the two months to learn how to go to the bathroom, you can hang out with your friends for as long as you want without calling your mommy. You know what I mean? Uh, like those are you think that you think what you're doing staying in that comfort zone is actually like safer, but it's not. You're missing out on so much by not staying in that comfort zone. And sometimes we're thrust into a really uncomfortable world like spinal cord injury, and sometimes we choose it. Uh, but either way, I think having people to look up to and um, relate to is key. So. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I met you on YouTube. I'm glad that your channel is there uh, for me to see. And now I I can call you a friend and we'll be able to continue sharing all of our antics and Absolutely. experiences with people for however long we decide it's not a pain in the ass to. Yeah. In fact, there's a great quote and I got it from your channel. Uh, it is, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a tough one. Oh, that's what is the one that I got one from your channel too, and I shared it in my email list. And um, ah, oh, I can't remember. It's like gratitude something. It's bugging me. I have to go look back. I share. <laughs> I literally shared it on social media. I shared it in my um, email list, and now I can't remember it. It's bugging me. I have to go find it. Yeah, well that yeah, that quote was it, that quote was by Bruce Lee, um, and it was it was on one of your YouTube channel. It was on one of your YouTube videos. I really that liked one, with it. That one, that one was really like I really like that quote. I have I have a bunch of inspirational quotes that keep me going, um, but that is a yeah. I really like that one. But the quote that I can't remember right now that I got from your YouTube channel that um, and it's bugging me because I literally shared it with my email it, list um, and i shared it on social media is it be grateful for the good times and graceful in the bad times yes that one i knew it was <laughs> that like something about great uh grateful i like that quote so much because um i don't think you realize until you have a spinal cord injury or like a challenge in your life how um there's a mix of uh grace and gratitude and you just you balance that you teeter totter all the time. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. I love my life. And then you go to the other side and you're just like, fuck, I'm really sad. And this is hard. And I don't know if I can do this. And then you have to have grace. You know mm. what I mean? And I think it's a teeter totter. Um, and I don't know whether we ever really find balance or whether we're always just in one or the other, but yeah, it was one of my favorites. So. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, I think not like we're actually, we exist on like the spectrum, like, like you, like you say, like be grateful for the good times and graceful in the bad times. Like, cause there are good times and there are bad times. And, you know, I, for, like for me, I hang on about gratitude so much on my YouTube channel and my podcast. I keep yeah. a gratitude journal and I think gr keeping a gratitude journal is one of the best things someone could do. It's like a tangible, scientifically proven way to like be happy and you um, do some other crazy form of yoga 
I remember I watched that video and I was like, dude, you're making me look bad. You're just like, I do, I do all of these things in the morning. And I was like, I take a poop and I make my bed. <laughs> I was going to ask you, no, cause you stretch. You, uh, there's a, well, unless um, you were exaggerating, but you stretch before you get out of bed, right? I do. I do stretch. Yeah. I stretch in the morning, but that's sort of like so ingrained in my routine that I kind of forget about it. Like I just yeah. wake up, I literally wake up. And then I sit up and I stretch and I just do it. But uh, I'm not I, out there I, I do doing the meditations in yoga. Do you? I do the same. I wake up, yeah. And I think it's so bizarre because it's second nature to me as well. And it's so important with a spinal cord injury to stretch. It makes such a difference. Oh, if so you just hard. get up and try and get in your chair without stretching, it's so hard. And if you like spend fi at least five minutes just stretching, like, you know, forward bends or any sort of stretching just to loosen up your limbs. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, you know, my legs are loose and I can, I can get the, I can get in my chair like a little bit better. Um, one of the things that plagues me the most about my injury is, is my spasticity. It, it, it really bugs me. I don't, it, it, you know, it's, it's the worst thing I would say, you know, for me, it, it's number one. I hate it. Like my, my legs, they're just constantly tight. They're, they feel like they're just gripping my wheelchair, um, right now, actually. Um, but yeah, it's, but the stretching, like before you get out of bed, number one tip and then number two, gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And really gratitude is like, a. I think it can carry you through a lot. You know what I mean? Like you, if you just look at the things that you have to be grateful for, even in like the shittiest times, um, that's the thing that kind of keeps you going to the, to the next task or the next day or whatever. Um, so yeah, gratitude is a huge one. And I think most people who seem to get on with life easier have some sort of gratitude practice or just have that as a part of their value system. Um, and the people that struggle the most, I think, struggle with gratitude. Uh, I think they are on the entitlement fence, you know, instead of mm. the, the gratitude side of the fence. So yeah. Um, I have to pee though, so I, I have to pee. I'm gonna what a have to go ready. <laughs> what a great, what a great way to end the podcast. Yeah, we both have to pee. Oh my god! <laughs> but uh, for people who don't know you, um, tell people where they can find you on the internet. They can find me at Empowered Para anywhere. My website is empoweredpara.com. Uh, I have Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok, but I have like three videos, so it's abysmal. And I'm not very good on social media, but I am there every once in a while. But uh, yeah, Empowered Para everywhere. Uh, and they can even email me at empoweredpara at gmail.com. And I will answer because yeah, I love engaging with people. Yeah, I do. I I talk to a lot of people on email. Um, and I feel like I have friends all over the world, which is great. So That's fantastic. And for me, uh, if, if any of your uh, audience watch this video, uh, and yeah, I'm at uh, Fredo the wheelchair guy on YouTube uh, Fredo Smith 14 I'll put some links in the description um, but yeah uh, this has been a wonderful chat Brittany I really appreciate it it's been, it's been really really wonderful so uh, thank you so much for sharing your story and uh, I can't wait and let's I can't wait to collaborate more in the future yeah we're definitely gonna do it uh, I'm gonna come to Europe sometime and you can show me around okay cool well until next okay. time love yourselves and each other Peace. That was awesome. Hello, beautiful people. If you enjoyed that podcast and you found it valuable, 
interesting, thought-provoking, and you think that someone else might enjoy it, feel free to share it with them. It's the easiest way that you can help this podcast grow. And I'd love to have more conversations like this with other people. So I will leave some episodes in the show notes if you're a new listener to check out. There's a, a good episode called Fredo's Accident from Another Perspective, where I interview my friend Pete about uh, he lets me know things were happened on that day, which I never even knew about. Uh, that's quite a cool one. And there's some really cool, lighthearted ones with Benji and I just talking about life, love, the human experience and psychedelics. Uh, so, yeah, if you've enjoyed the podcast, thank you so much for listening. But most importantly, love yourselves and each other. Till next time. Peace.